We're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians chapter 3, so you can turn your Bibles there. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Now, if you would forgive me, I realize I usually, when I fill in on Wednesday nights, I try to read out of the New King James Version because we're going verse by verse and that's what Pastor Rob goes through. But I couldn't find mine and I always preach out of ESV. So I'm going to read out of the ESV, but then I also have the New King James on my iPad. So forgive me if I go back and forth. You guys are smart. You guys will figure it out. All right. Are you guys ready? All right. Let's read God's word together. We'll pray one more time that the Lord blesses our time and then we'll dive into it. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, we read, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Everyone say earthly things. But our citizenship, everyone say citizenship, is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Everyone say, stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom to gather and to open it. But Lord, we ask that tonight wouldn't just be another simple Bible study that's academic and remains in the head. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you'd bring it into our hearts, that you bring application to our lives. Once again, Holy Spirit, we invite you here and we ask that you would speak. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. As most of you may know, my wife and I just announced that we are expecting baby number three on the way in August. It's going to be fun, all right? Baby number three, our daughter's almost four, our son's two, baby's coming in August. 20th is the due date. Who knows? My birthday's the 15th. Maybe you come on my birthday. It'd be pretty cool. But one of the things we've already learned with parenting, number three, is that everyone has an opinion on parenting everyone's got an opinion, right? You know, it's like organic food, inorganic food. Do we do the sleep, uh, the cried out method or the co-sleep method? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Do we, when do we take them out of the crib? When do we transfer them? Do they go, do the crib? Do they do the bassinet? Everyone has an opinion when it comes to parenting. Sometimes it can be exhausting. We're on number three now, so we kind of know where we stand on things. But one thing I've noticed that everyone kind of agrees on when it comes to parenting is one model not to follow is the do what I say, not what I do model. You guys remember that one? Do what I say, not what I do. That's a poor model of parenting, right? Because there's hypocrisy, there's inconsistency there. Well, it's that very lifestyle and that manner of living that Paul is addressing here in Philippians chapter 3. What he's doing is he's warning the church of Philippi of displaying an inconsistency between what they say they believe and how they actually 
conduct themselves or how they actually behave. And to bridge that gap truly takes a fight to follow, which is our short little title for our time tonight. It's a fight to follow after God. We're going to break our times together in three ways. The outline of our study, three observations will first be the call to follow in verse 14. Then we'll see the contrast of walks or the contrast of examples in verses 18 to 21. And then the command to stand in chapter 4, verse 1. But first, the call to follow. Let's read verse 14 one more time. Reading out of the New King James Version now, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now, Paul has taken a large portion of this letter so far to give us case studies of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If you remember in chapter 2, he commends Timothy, his prodigy, for his proven character. And then at the end of chapter 2, he commends Epaphroditus for his generosity. Paul then goes on to warn them and us of evil workers who are more obsessed over themselves rather than Christ. And in doing so, Paul lists out his great successes in his former life or in his religious life. That he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. His big old, what we call his fleshly resume, he lists out there. And he says not to follow that example. In fact, all of those things we saw last week, he counts them as filth. He counts it all as filth. And rather than following that example, he's putting that life behind him of living for himself and he's pressing on to the upward call of Christ. And now, as he's told us how he's moving on to the upward call of Christ, he's living for his Savior rather than himself. He then comes and he says, follow me. As I am pursuing this upward call of Christ, Follow me, follow after me. He is exhorting and encouraging the Philippians, similar to what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. You may know the verse. It says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's where we're at now. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is looking to that upper call of Christ Jesus and he's saying, follow my example. Put that former life of serving self aside and follow after Christ himself. Now, it's remarkable that Paul is really even able to say this. When you really think about it, would you be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Those are bold words to be able to tell to the Corinthians and to the Philippians to tell anyone. But he was so submitted to the power of the gospel in his life that he was now able to live out the gospel and and the power of the Holy Spirit working through his life that he was able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as we look at this, it reminds me of an important note to consider that we as Christians are first called to be followers before we are called to be leaders. We are first called to be followers before we are called to be leaders. There is much talk about leadership in the church. There's much talk about leading families, leading spouses, being a leader for Jesus in the workplace, and all those things are true. But the essential call is that we are first 
followers of Jesus before we are leaders for Jesus. That we are disciples before we are discipling other people. First, we must follow the example of Christ and of Paul. This is exactly what he's telling the Philippians to do. And this idea of first being a follower reminds me of Jesus' statements all throughout the Gospels. When he would go up to certain individuals and he would say those words, follow me. Now Paul is saying, follow me. One of those times we see that is in Luke chapter 5, verse 26. It says this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And so Levi left all, rose up and followed after Jesus. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that the call to follow Jesus goes out to absolutely anyone. Jesus invites anyone to follow after him. And when you think for a second, Paul, Paul was the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the great religious person. And to that religious person, Jesus says, hey, don't follow that, follow me. Then we look at Levi, formerly or who had come to be known as Matthew. Levi was the exact opposite of Paul in many ways. Paul was the morally good one, the morally upright one, the religious one. Meanwhile, Levi was the rebel. He grew up going to rabbinical school as a boy. He grew up around the scriptures, but instead he rebelled against all of those things. He rebelled against his own people, worked for the Romans and became a thief and stole a bunch of money from taxes from people and got super rich. He was a rebel and he was a rebel to God. Yet this call and invitation to follow after Jesus goes to both the religious and to the rebel. It goes out to anyone. Why? Because we are all in need of following Jesus. We are all in need of following after him. But notice there in that text, after Levi responded or his response to that invitation was that Levi left all, rose up, And followed after Jesus. He left all. He left it all behind. Very similar to what Paul is telling us there in Philippians 3. That that former life of all those religious accolades and all of that religious success. He's leaving that all behind. He refers to it as filth. And he's moving on. He's pressing on to follow after Jesus. Luke or Levi the rebel did the same thing. He leaves all of his riches. He leaves everything else behind and he responds to the call of discipleship to follow after Jesus. And certainly there's always a cost to following Jesus. Is there not? There's always a cost to following Jesus. But you know, one thing I think we get wrong sometimes when you talk about our testimonies in church is it's as if we're leaving a bunch of things behind. The reality is we're leaving a bunch of nothing. The reality is we're really not losing anything. We're gaining absolutely everything. That former life, whether you were a religious person or a rebel, that former life is nothing. What we do as we respond to that call of Jesus, rather than lose anything, we gain absolutely everything in him. And so we're first look at this call. The call to follow. As Christians, we are first and foremost to be a follower and not a leader. A disciple before we're called to disciple others. And so by way of application, my question to you tonight is who are you following? Because if I can be honest and real with you, is that the world likes to pull at my attention 
to follow after other things that are not Jesus. The world is fighting for literally my attention on social media, on the news, in the workplace, wherever you go, on billboards, to follow and chase after that thing. So often we can follow after things that are not Jesus. We can follow after a dream, after a significant other, after riches and pleasure and notoriety and acclaim. We can blindly follow the fake lives that we see on social media, the news We can follow after the latest trend in Silicon Valley or in Hollywood. And what do these things do? They all fade away. They can suck us away from following after Christ. Paul, Levi, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these were all men that weren't any longer living for themselves and following after the things of this world. They were determined to follow after Christ. And this is what Paul is telling the Philippians to do. Follow my example. But I love the end of that verse there in 17. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, there's other people. As you are seeking to follow Christ, there are other people that you can look at and look up to for guidance as you're following him. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where we read, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How does he begin that? By saying we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. In church, we certainly are. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There are godly men and women that are around you that you are able to say, I want to follow a little bit after their life as I seek to follow Christ. Now, warning though, these godly men and women that we're called to pattern our lives after, they're probably not the coolest. They're probably not the trendiest. They probably don't have it all together in every aspect of their life, but they're submitted and surrendered to Christ. And they're seeking his presence. And they respond in humility. And they're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in them and through them. It is these types of people that we are called to follow and also to be those kinds of people. Can we say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? But regardless, before we get to that application, he's saying, follow these people. Find these people in your life that you can follow the example of Christ and Paul. Find these people. God is always faithful to bring those types of people in your life. So how do you determine? How do you determine who to follow? Well, notice now from verses 18 to 21, the contrast of two examples, the contrast of walks. First, we have a bad example and then we have a good example. Simple as that. The bad example here is in verse 18. Let's read it again. It says, For many walk of whom I have told you and often now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. There is a bad example. And it seems as if, which is really hard to grasp our minds around in one sense, but the other sense, we're like, we already knew that. There's bad examples in the church. They're what Pastor Skip Heisek calls them in his commentary on this section, pretenders. They're pretenders. They're in us. They're among us. 
but they are not the ones that we want to follow. In fact, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, at that time, as we've already looked at, there were kind of two forms of heretical group. You had the Judaizers, which were ones who believed in Christ, the blood of Christ, but were adding the Mosaic law upon that. Certainly, they were enemies of the cross because they were saying that the cross is not enough. Then you had the Gnostics who were on the other end. They weren't the religious. They were the rebels and they were licentious and they wanted experience. And they said, because of the cross of Christ, I can do whatever I want, whatever pleases me. These types of people are what he's referring to as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And they're among us. They were in the church of Philippi. They're in every church. Why? Because Jesus promises that there's going to be with the wheat tares that are going to come up. They're going to be among us, but we have to understand some of the characteristics of them. But before we look at that, I want to draw your attention there to we see that Paul was weeping over them. Now that should stick out to you because this is the epistle of joy, abounding joy. Paul's in prison and he's just Mr. Joyful. But here we find him weeping. 19 times we see the word joy in the book of Philippians. But here he's weeping and he's not weeping over his circumstance. He's weeping after those who are professing one things with their mouth, but their lives are doing a whole different thing. They're saying, do what I say, not what I do. Those are the one that he's weeping after. So as we look at these characteristics, I want you to understand Paul's not being judgmental. We're not being critical of these people. We're not bringing fire and brimstone upon them like John and the sons of thunder would have wanted to do in the ministry of Jesus. No, Paul is weeping after them as the heart of the father wanting to see them come to repentance. But yet they're there. The wheat and the tares, they grow together. It was Charles Spurgeon who said this, I would rather have a thousand devils out of the church than have one in it. Whew. Harsh words, it seems that. But again, the whole idea is to expose, to bring to repentance. This is the heart of Paul. The reality is, friends, is that Christ will never walk away from us, but we can walk away from him. Those in the church can respond to an altar call, to a response, to a confession, but then slowly their hearts can drift away. How can we look at the characteristics of these people not to follow? Well, first we see that their destiny is destruction. Paul says that they are literally, their end is destruction. So as you're looking, who do I follow? Well, where are they going? Are they going to life or are they going to destruction? Jesus said himself, there's two ways, two paths, the broad way and the narrow way. As you're looking to someone to follow, are they on the broad path or are they on the narrow path? Jesus says, what is it if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? So the one who is following as a bad example, or one we're not to follow, is the one who's in their destiny is destruction. They are living for the now. They are on the broad way. And so another question tonight, those that you are following and inspired by and look up to, which path are they on? What are they living for? What are they living for? For the things of the world or the things of eternity? Are they looking to gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Paul lovingly warns us against such. The second thing we see is that these people, their authority is self. Paul says it this way, that their God is their belly. In other words, it wasn't 
their Savior. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the Spirit that was leading and guiding them. It was their desires. It was their experiences that were they were following after. Their authority really wasn't the Spirit in their life. It was their selves. It was self on the throne of their heart, using God's grace as a license, as sin, unapologetically living in immorality and in sin. Do you know such people? They're around, around us. They're among us. And the other thing is, sometimes they're in us, right? So we have to be careful because this example, we are all prone to becoming someone that their destiny is destruction and their authority is self. Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator, says this, that in an, an immoral life is enmity to the cross of Christ for he died to make us holy. The purpose of Christ's work, the, the cross and his resurrection wasn't that we can have our, God, our bellies be our God, is that, that we would be surrendered to Jesus to allow him to produce holiness in and through our lives. Those that are a bad example, those that are enemies of the cross are neglecting such a thing. Their authority is self, their destiny is destruction, and their glory is to live for the now. They're only earthly minded. They're focused on the temporary. They're living for the next day, for the next paycheck, for the next vacation, for the next high, for the next whatever it is. They're living for the now with no concern of eternity and they're even among us. And again, the tendency is in us. Paul warns us that's not the road that you want to go on at all. And so then he transitions in contrast there to the good example. How long has this slide been up? For a while? You guys were following along with that. Okay. So there you go. I didn't know it was already up behind me. So you've got the bad example and the good example. Destruction, self, live for now. But then he says that we are citizens of heaven. The destiny of the good example is that our destiny is heaven. This is the person that you need to follow who's geared on heaven. Paul says their citizenship is in heaven, which is very, very interesting that he says this because it's it's important to understand that Philippi was a Roman colony and Romans were all about their citizenship. Why? Because your citizenship or your identity determines your culture, how you're going to live. Well, Paul says, remember, your citizenship isn't here on earth. It is in heaven. Therefore, that is is how our lives should reflect. Remember, we're bridging the gap and what we believe and how we behave. If we really are citizens of heaven and we believe it, then that should be seen through our behavior and through our conduct because that is our destiny. And so the good example is someone with that in mind. It's also someone whose authority is the savior and not self. The bad example was there that they were God, their God was their belly. But here, this person, notice there in our text, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This person is waiting for their savior. There's the lordship of Jesus in their life. These are the people that we want to follow after. These are the ones that are truly following after Christ. It's when Jesus is at the throne of their heart, awaiting his return. Throughout the scriptures and Jesus' teachings, all through Paul's teachings and Peter's teachings and John's teachings, whenever it was referring to the imminent return of Christ, it always had the application of purity. 
It always has the application of purity. Because if Jesus could come back this moment, man, we want to be that pure bride before him. And the beautiful reality is to live a life of purity is to live a life that's placed in our our identity. Because the reality is, because the work of Christ, we've already been washed in the blood of Jesus. And so when we're living a life of purity, we're actually living a life that's consistent with who we are. The lie that the enemy likes to say is that we're impure, that we're unclean, that it doesn't matter, that you can do whatever you want and attacks the blood-bought identity that Jesus has purchased for you. The reality is, is that we're pure. We're pure. That's the way Christ sees us. We've been declared righteous by Jesus himself in the heavenlies. Therefore, walk as it. Walk in the manner in which you were called, Paul would say. And so their authority is their savior. They're waiting for him. They're living in purity and their glory is in eternity. They are living for the later. Notice there in verse 21, it says, Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even subject to all things to himself. This person is not living for the now. They're not living for the earthly. They are living with that passion and that reality that really, truly, the best is yet to come. That right now there might be eternal or there might be temporary suffering, but it has nothing on the eternal glory that awaits us. This is the example that we want to follow. It is those that are heavenly minded. Reminds me of Philippians or sorry, Colossians chapter three, verse two, when we read, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. This is the example that we want to follow. Those that their minds are set in heaven. But that doesn't mean that we're detached from the earth. That doesn't mean that we are living out the kingdom of God in earth. It's with the kingdom in mind. We are called to be ambassadors. Now we get to invade this world. We get to be salt and light in this world. We get to bring the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his power and his glory here on earth as Christ is working through us. This is the good example. And so with this slide, the visual is, is what does your life look like or really the lives that we or you are following? Who are we following? What's their life look like? We want to be following those that their minds are in heaven, they're seated in heaven, their destiny is heaven, their authority is their savior, their glory is to in eternity. And lastly, we see in chapter four, verse one, that the command then is to stand. Now we're called to follow. Now we know what it looks like or who to follow. And now we need that command to stand. Verse one again, it says, Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. This is where the fight to follow comes from. Because this word to stand means to persevere. Persevere. Stand firm. Be persistent because the world's going to want to pull you a different way. Stand firm in following after Jesus. Man, it takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes strength. That all comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's yielded and submitted to him to stand persistently following after Jesus. To be remaining in our identity. Paul would use this word to stand fast multiple times throughout his epistles. But one stuck out to you and stuck out to me in closing is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. 
we read Paul say this, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Stand fast, stand firm, be persistent in following after the scriptures. That's the traditions that Paul's referring to. Following after the word of God. And what a statement to the current climate of the Christian church right now. Where people want to lay aside all tradition. They want to lay aside, they want to rethink, they want to reinterpret scriptures. Did Jesus really mean that? Is that really what he meant about this? Paul says, no, hold fast, persevere, be persistent, stand firm in these things. Why? Because again, what we believe needs to reflect how we behave. Or really, how we behave needs to reflect what we believe. So we need to stand firm to bridge that gap. To be that witness for Christ. And friends, as this sounds too much, realize it all comes by the power of God's Holy Spirit. The same grace that saved us, the same grace that changed Paul, the same grace that changed Matthew, the same grace that changed all of us is the same grace by the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live the life in which God calls us to live. That grace is available for you today by the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, will you receive and rely on his grace to be his example? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the truths of your word that sometimes, Lord, can be difficult to hear, but we know it's all by your love. Lord, you don't want us to be living for things that are simply on earth. You don't want us to be living for ourselves because you have designed us for so much more, Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you've bought us, that you've given us an identity, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would be reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we would love to be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus, we surrender. We bow ourselves before you. And we ask, Jesus, that you would work that in us, that you would, Lord, produce that good fruit within us that comes by your spirit. Jesus, we praise you. Would you have your time upon our discussion? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.